Well, welcome everybody to Journey the Church, to the gathering. We're very grateful that you're here tonight. A lot of familiar faces. It's wonderful uh, also to see the new faces. You guys are awesome. I know it's hard sometimes to come in the middle of your busy week, busy lives going on right now, especially with school getting out, summer starting, vacations, these long summer days. I'm grateful that you're here tonight. We doing okay? Yeah. Wasn't that phenomenal worship tonight? I love how Jeffrey O'Dell, Bonesaw Barnett, just pours out his heart. As do countless, countless people at this church, I'm blown away by the faithfulness of each and every one of you and your love for God and for his people. Well, I don't know if you're around in 1975. But for those of you who may have been around in 1975, in April of that year, in a bar near Santa Cruz, California, advertising executive Gary Dahl had a light bulb moment. He was at the bar listening to his friends as they were complaining about their pets. My dog this, my cat that, my fish this, my turtle that. And he was sick of it. But then the light bulb moment, the idea for the perfect pet came to him. A pet rock. A rock would not need to be fed or walked or bathed or groomed. It would not die or become sick or ever be disobedient. So Dahl took this idea seriously, and he drafted a pun-filled instruction manual for a pet rock. He then moved on to production and marketing. The, the rocks were marketed like live pets in a custom cardboard box with holes drilled out for the pet's breathing ability, along with straw for, for a bed. Well, even though this fad only lasted about six months, Dahl sold over 1.5 million pet rocks for $4 each. And in the process, he became a millionaire. Incredible. Although a rock, although a rock might be considered the perfect pet, and although it might be hard to believe, got that one? We have someone smart over here. Or tough to swallow, or a bit rough, a rock will constantly give you tough love, the cold shoulder, and of course, a hard time. But you know what? Some people have friends who are pet rocks. Some people have husbands or wives or coworkers or kids or grandkids who are pet rocks. And I don't mean the kind that come in custom cardboard boxes with straw and breathing holes. 
but I mean the kind of pet rocks that are constantly unresponsive or shut off, detached, separated, removed, and indifferent like a rock. Tonight in our passage, Paul, the apostle, is wrestling with the Corinthian believers who quite nicely resemble pet rocks. Their hearts seem to be shut off, closed and hardened, but Paul is here pleading with them, encouraging them to open up their hearts. And tonight what we're going to do is explore some very challenging, countercultural, against the grain type of stuff that might actually rub us the wrong way. But maybe it rubs us the wrong way because our thoughts and our actions are going the wrong way. Well, let's get into it. If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says, Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. God, tonight we want to come before you with open hearts. We don't want to come before you like calloused and hardened individuals who are separated, shut off, and unresponsive to you. Give us the boldness and the courage and the strength to open ourselves up to you and to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So have you ever had to deal with someone who's like a pet rock? You know, they're hard-headed, they're hard-hearted, and they're also hardwired for complete and utter stubbornness. This is actually quite clearly an accurate picture of me on my not-so-good days, and maybe it's an accurate picture of you on your not-so-good days, hard-hearted, hard-headed, hardwired for complete and utter stubbornness. Well, let's break it down a little bit and do some table talk tonight. I want you to talk to the people around you at your table and address the following questions. How do you deal with someone who's unresponsive, shut off, detached, separated, removed, and indifferent like a rock? And then secondly, how do you get through to someone like this? And if this is you, let's be honest now, what suggestions would you give to others to help them get through to you? All right, ready, go.
It's getting a little quiet, so maybe we'll just do one more minute. All right, let's finish the thought, and we'll bring it back together here. We will have some more table talk coming up in a few. But I think that Paul actually here in this first section we just read, I think he actually gives quite a practical and constructive reasoning or way of getting through to those who may be hard-headed or hard-hearted. Here's what he says in verse 11. Oh, dear Corinthian friends. So first off, when you're dealing with someone who might be hard-headed or hard-hearted, befriend them. You have to be friends with them if you're going to get through. We have spoken honestly with you, so speak the truth and not lies, and our hearts are open to you. You know when someone has open-heart surgery... They're probably in the most vulnerable position they could ever be in. They're laying there on the operating table with their chest cavity open. Their heart, like the essential organ to existence, is there. That's what it means when our hearts are open to people or our hearts are open to God. We are completely vulnerable. And that's what we have to do if we want to get through to someone who's hard-hearted or hard-headed. There is no lack of love on our part. So humbly love and love and love and love and then love some more. But you have withheld your love from us. Again, it takes honesty here. Paul is laying it out. He's saying, you guys have not loved me in a way that I have loved you. You can't just avoid the problem. You have to address it. Verse 13, he says, I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children in a TLC, tender, loving care relationship. Open your hearts to us. So now let's get to the nitty gritty. Verses 14 through 16a. It says, don't team up. Or you can also translate that as don't be mismatched. Or as the ESV and the New King, New King James Version say, unequally yoked. Don't team up or be unequally yoked with those who are unbelievers. Now, there's a lot there, and we're going to get to it in just a minute, but first, let's see how Paul continues. He continues with five rhetorical questions, questions that anticipate a negative response, a negative answer. So here's how it goes. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can a righteous person or a right, let me say that again there. 
How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? It's inconceivable. It cannot be. How can light live with darkness? Inconceivable. Anyone seen Princess Bride before? All right, you can say it with me. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Inconceivable. You can do better than that, right? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Inconceivable. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Inconceivable. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. Let's break it down further. Paul opens with a command not to be mismatched or unequally or unevenly yoked with unbelievers. The Greek is heterozugeo, heterozugeo, which refers to yoking two unlike, two different animals together, like an ox and a donkey, or better yet, for our purposes, a Clydesdale and a Shetland pony. Obviously, as you can see, a Clydesdale is a little bit bigger than a Shetland pony. So imagine like a heavy wooden yoke. That's what these animals would be here driving. They're designed to harness the strength of a team. But here, obviously, it would be askew. You've got the big Clydesdale and you have the Shetland pony wearing a cardigan. It would not work because the horses are of different heights, weights, speeds, different gaits. The yoke, instead of harnessing this power of the team to complete the task, it would simply rub and chafe the horses, and the load would be distributed unequally. And you know what would happen? Probably this Clydesdale would take off and just run in circles, because you're going in circles, and that's what happens with our relationships when they are unequally yoked, when they are mismatched, uneven. Paul's words in verse 14, A, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. That's typically the verse that youth pastors use to tell their students, don't date an unbeliever, someone who's not going to church. Oh, but we're like so in love. We have like everything in common. We are destined to be together. A few years back, I uh, spent time with a Slovak friend of mine. He's probably like 15 or 16 years old. I have known him actually since he's four or five years old. His name is Benny. And when I saw him in 2015, he was in fuego for Jesus. He was on fire for Jesus. He was sizzling. And we kept kind of in touch over the year 2015. And then when I was back there in 2016, he was nowhere to be seen. I asked Noah about this, and he said, well, Benny had gotten baptized, and then shortly after he was baptized, he got a new boo, a new girl in his life who he was head over heels for, but the only thing was, she's not a believer. And in the process of this, he's been kind of pushed away from church, from his relationship with God. And I said, Noah, like, well, did you talk to him? Like, what did you do with the situation? And I'll never forget what Noah said. 
as we were talking about not just this situation, but the situation in general of being unequally yoked and being mismatched. And he said, if Jesus is the most important person in your life, which certainly should be if you are a Christian, if Jesus is the most important person in your life, then you really don't have that much in common with her. You really don't. Uh, sure, you, you both may like anchovies and asparagus on your pizza. Uh, or you both might like sappy Hallmark movies and salsa dancing on Thursday nights. But at your core, you are intrinsically different. Intrinsically different. You are essentially different because there is no lack of, there is a lack of union there. There's not that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the most important person in my life at the core. There is no union there. But what if, say, you are married to an unbeliever? Like, what do you do? Well, Paul already addressed this in 1 Corinthians 7, 12b. It says, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his wife, who isn't a believer. Wait, let me see. Let me see. I skipped a line there. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. And I'll tell you what, when you are equally yoked, there is a lot of peace that comes. There's just things in my marriage. We, tomorrow's our, our anniversary. We're celebrating four years of married bliss. And uh, I'll tell you what, like there's things that we just don't even think about that are just like natural in our, our lives because we are both pursuing Jesus. We are both pursuing Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit in our individual lives and it brings us closer together. There are things that just are, you know, it's part of what we do. Like we go to church we serve, we're involved, we pray, uh, we tithe. And these are things that like, we don't argue about. It's just like, it's what we do. It's what we do because God calls us to do it and therefore we do it. I don't know, we just keep it simple and it's easier that way. Um, but if you're in a situation where it's like, you know, my husband or my wife or whoever, like they don't go to church, I wanna lift that up. So let's just pray for that right now, okay? God, I just wanna lift up the people here and the people that we know, the people in our lives, the people of this church who maybe they come here by themselves and they're in a home that is kind of split up. There's no union there when it comes to Jesus. I pray, God, you would give them strength to continue to bring the light into their household. How hard this must be, only they know 
But Lord, you know as well. So I pray and we lift them up. Help us to be an encouragement. Help us to see these people and to love them as you love them, to support them as you support them in really tangible ways, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, you know, this whole unequally yoked thing, everyone kind of takes it to relationships and tells you, yeah, don't date a, a non-believer, someone who's not following Jesus. I get that. But you know what? This is also much broader. It's not just about relationships. It's not just about marriage. It's much more. This don't team up with those who are unbelievers is also about sharing and partnership, fellowship, participation, and community. So then should I cut off all ties then? Should I cut off all ties and commerce and relationships with unbelievers? No. No, no, no. Certainly not. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers is a command that Christians should not form binding relationships with non-Christians that would result in their spiritual defilement, that would pull you away from your relationship with God. And there's an easy way of figuring this out. Is this person that I'm spending a lot of time with, are they bringing me closer to or further from God? And I think that that logic can be applied to everything in our lives. Is this activity, is this hobby, is this TV show, is this music bringing me closer to God or further from God? If it's bringing me further from God, I probably need to cut ties with it. And that may be hard when it comes to relationships and people that we really have cared for. They've been a part of our lives for a long time. That's one of the things that makes this passage really tough. But may we see things in the way that God sees things. Well, let's uh, dive into this a little bit more and do some table talk. What makes a Christian different? different than any other person who doesn't have Jesus at the center of their lives? And then how could unequally yoked relations be troubling to the Christian life? All right, ready, go.
All right, about one more minute. All right, let's finish the thought. You know, I'm not trying to instigate any sort of like isolationism or anything like that where we should just cloister ourselves and not talk to people who don't know Jesus. I'm not trying to do that by any means. But what I'm trying to say is that I wanna reiterate, if you're a Christian, then Jesus should be the most important person in your life. That this means that your relationship with God should be unmatched by any and every relationship or task or goal or hobby or pursuit or whatever. Some of us are so open-hearted we're so open-hearted when it comes to accepting anything and everything, but then we're stone-cold, rock-hard, stubborn, and unaccepting to the things that God calls us to. You know, we don't like it. We don't agree with it. It doesn't fit with my worldview. Well, if God and his word are not shaping your worldview... What is? Or who is? Fox News? CNN? Facebook? That's scary. In the next few verses, Paul reminds us, believers, of who we are. Paul reminds us of who we are and how our worldview should be shaped. And he does so by compiling, by gathering together some Old Testament texts from passages like Leviticus and 2 Samuel and Isaiah. And this is what he says, verse 16b through 17, for we are the temple of the living God. And this temple, it is not to be sullied. It's not to be sullied or tarnished. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. This is from Isaiah 52, verse 11, where God is calling the people to separate and depart from Babylon and its idolatry. This is a place where they were in captivity. You would think it would be a no-brainer. Yeah, let's get out of here. Let's leave. But it's just like our lives. We dabble in sin, and then it becomes routine. It becomes normal, comfortable even. We get attached to it. But God's saying, no, you've intermixed with darkness, corruption, and filth for far too long. 
It's time to walk in the light. Verse 18 says, And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Just in time for Father's Day this weekend, it's important to realize that God is not only your God, who is holy, but God is also your father. And now we don't need to wander the aisles of Home Depot or Lowe's trying to pick out that perfect Father's Day gift for God. But we need to put down this this shopping basket and learn what it means to be loyal and obedient to God. Because God, our Father, has every right to demand our loyalty and obedience from his children. And here's a good roadmap to go by. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, as we continue along. It says, because we have these promises that, that God is going to live in us and walk among us, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. We have awe, wonder, reverence. Regard for God. Verse 2 says, Please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts, and we live and die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great pride The Greek says, great is my boasting in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. Now this section in scripture tonight, this entire piece that we've walked through, it may have rubbed us raw, but I want us to consider why. Why does this rub us raw? Why do these words of Paul maybe feel abrasive to me? Maybe God is chipping away at these ideologies, these preferences, these exterior that I've fabricated. Maybe we never thought that we were unresponsive or shut off or detached separated, removed, or indifferent from God. But how many days pass where we realize half the day is gone, three quarters of the day is gone, and we haven't even thought about God one bit? It happens a lot to me. But I realize when I start my day off right, in the word, in prayer, making that time, making that time, forcing myself to do that. My whole day is completely different. But you know, maybe we never thought we had a hard heart or a hard head, but God wants to renew us, give us a heart of flesh. And in in Hebrew, the word is lev. It's your being. It's not just this organ inside of you, but it's your entire self. It's your personhood. And this is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart 
and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. I had a conversation with a young woman a couple of months ago. A young woman who was wrestling with her identity as a Christian. Now, she knows that she is a daughter of the Most High. She knows that full well. But she said she also has some very strong beliefs. And what I gathered from this very strong beliefs is that she had very strong beliefs regarding politics and gender and sexuality, etc. And she's in the process of wrestling through how do I maybe reconcile these various opinions, thoughts, ideologies? And, and we were talking about this, and I said, well, you've got your, your thoughts that you are you know, banking on. They're very important to you. And then you've got this Christian life that isn't important to you as well, and you can't reconcile them. You can't just try and pick and choose what you like from each said, let's just forget about all of this and start with God as the bedrock, as the foundation, as your entire worldview, your entire perception of everything. Let's start with God and then move up from the ground up, God and his word, and then we're going to filter everything through that mindset. Rather than picking and choosing what the politics or what the popular opinion might be. No, let's start with God. Let's start with his word and then filter everything through that. And I'm like, I don't know where that came from. That must have just been God because I should probably do that too. <laughs> I probably should. And then develop very strong beliefs off of that. And I'll tell you what, just because the pastor said it doesn't mean it's true. You need to read for yourself and read in community and talk about these ideas that come from the word of God, that come from God in community. And what's amazing for me to see is how her life is being shaped as she's growing through this process. And I love to see this. I love to see the change that occurs, not just in my life, but in the lives of other people. And often the change comes in very difficult and not so fun ways. But it's always exciting to see how God and his word penetrates into our lives, into our hearts and minds to change and renew and restore, produce in us the most amazing character and identity, a character and identity of God. Because that's what we do. And I see Jesus through your eyes. I see God, through your eyes, I see the Holy Spirit working in you, even if you don't even realize it. But that's what we develop, a character and identity of being God lovers and people lovers. And those are the key ingredients of being world changers, loving God and loving people. If you're really serious about opening up your heart and opening up your mind to God completely, Prepare to be amazed because there's no limit to what God can do, especially for someone who's open and willing. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for this opportunity to work through some challenging parts of Scripture. And just because we may not agree doesn't mean it's not true. And just because we may not like it doesn't mean it's not right. Help us to see things from your perspective, to develop a character and identity that is founded upon you, that we can see, three, see things through your eyes and in your way. Send us out, Lord, with a greater love for people and a greater love for you. As we find our identity in you, help us to have open hearts with you and with the people around us that you would remove this rough and craggy exterior of our hearts with the newness of life that comes of the relationship with you. We love you, Lord, with all our hearts. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here tonight.